Alright, welcome to the Andrew Scutt Show. My guest today is Adam Marinelli, otherwise known as the DIY Career Guy. Adam is on a mission to modernize the job search and empower talent to take control. He's got a ton of experience in the career counseling realm, along with some hot takes on where it's going, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So, here we go. And we are now live. Adam, good to have you here, man. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. I, uh, I reached out to you before COVID even hit. Yeah. Uh, a lot has changed in the last uh, 15 months or so. Yeah. I Trust me, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into it for sure. Um, but I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. So um, I understand uh, you, you've been busy playing in the yard doing some, some DIY projects. Yes. Yeah, I have. So... I am the owner of DIY Career Guy. I do all things career services. I brand myself as someone who kind of was self-taught in home DIY renovations from my last house to my current, uh, my fiance and I settled down in the suburbs of Syracuse, um, much more space uh, in our kind of a blank template of a backyard. So when COVID hit, I'm like, well, wait, my day job is career services. And I empower people to do it themselves after I revamp their resume or their LinkedIn. So I have to live by that uh, marching order and be a DIYer uh, 24-7. <laughs> Very stubborn when it comes to uh, you know hiring out contractors. If I can do it, I'll try it. But um, COVID hit. We postponed our wedding not once, but twice. So hopefully we'll be getting married at the end of this year. And when, when COVID hit and everything kind of shut down, I was like, we got, we got this time on our hands to, you know, kind of stay at home and do projects. So the first thing I did was finish our basement. That took about 13 months at a very slow pace, chipping away at it. And then when the basement was done and the weather broke here in upstate New York in April, we got um, our pool finished. So the pool was in, just sitting around dirt. And I hired the professionals for the, the fence and the concrete patio around the pool. That was it. And everything turned out great. We had everything enclosed. So now we have this new fencing yard with just dirt on the outside of the pool. So I was talking to my fiance. I'm like, let's lay sod. It's a smaller space. It's like insta lawn, but you really got to take care of it. You've got to get after it. The weather started to get hot. You've got to water it like two or three times a day. And um, the good news is there's been a, you know, a couple kind of like troublesome areas, but everything looks great. And, and in about a month, we had a brand new lawn and a whole brand new backyard. So now we have something to do this summer, entertain family and friends. And, you know, outside of my day job, that's going to keep me busy, just maintaining that space. So. Very happy to report the do-it-yourself project backyard is is now complete and it looks great. That's exciting, man. What's yeah. uh, I gotta ask you, being that you're a, an avid DIYer, um, what is the 
the project that you like most got yourself into trouble with so far? So, so far, of course, you know, like I'm, I'm sure there's one coming down the line that's going to work. Yeah. But... I'll be completely honest with you. The basement was a huge project. Like I said, 13 months. Um, I did uh, most of it, uh, either myself, the, the framing, um, you know, or the finishing work. My fiance really helped with um, the stone pillars, uh, you know, those columns. That looked fantastic. She did most of that. I just made some cuts. And um, overall, the basement, she just trusted me. I, I kind of sketched some things out. I'm like, this is what I want to do. Uh, we put a bar in, a workout area. Huge project, but it was like not as stressful, or at least the stress seemed to be like spread out in 13 months. The biggest DIY blunder I've had so far is, um, word. like I said, I'm stubborn. So it was our first holiday in the new house uh, going on almost three years ago. Christmas week, I decided to gut our little half bath in the downstairs. So this would be where all the guests would actually go to the bathroom. It had that ugly 1980s like roses and wheelbarrow country wallpaper oh beautiful it was a pain in the ass every night for like four straight nights after work we would put the wallpaper stripper on and it was coming off in like little little pieces it took four days just to get that off and then then so we're talking three days before christmas eve when our relatives would come um i ripped the old vanity out so I disconnected the plumbing and all that stuff, yada, yada. And my fiance, like, she already knew. She's like, babe, you got a couple more days. Christmas Eve, thank God, my good friends at Home Depot right down the road were open because while she was getting ready to entertain 20 of her family members, I took four trips to Home Depot to try to get the right piece uh, of plumbing, like an extension on the actual water supply line because it was a little off center. I got the wrong vanity twice. And this little tiny bathroom renovation project was, was just a nightmare. So she still brings it up once in a while. She's like, Adam, you and your projects never ever do anything again a couple days before we're about to entertain people. Um, so my lesson has always been learned the hard way, whether it's in my career, which we can talk about back in my 20s, my stupid days, or um, DIY home projects. I just, I'm stubborn and it catches up to me. So I learned the hard way. You So I definitely want to hear about the uh, <laughs> this the stupidity of the, the 20s that you referred to there. Um, if, but first, have you always been a DIYer? Is this something that you kind of, you know, I got to give credit to like three people. Uh, my buddy John from graduate school, he he kind of grew up really handy down in Long Island. So when we went to Oswego State together, he worked in the summer for a contractor, uh, you know, whether it was like framing, you know, home rental stuff or even like roofing. And I got super curious, started asking him questions and, you know, he came down once I bought my first house when I was single. I bought a small townhouse um, out in the suburbs in Baldensville. And he came over and I had a small basement. I was like, I just want to do like the man cave, like one little room with like a TV and a couch and a bar. 
and he helped me, taught me how to do basic framing, uh, you know, framing the studs against the walls, um, hanging drywall. So I'm not a finisher. That's an art form. Those guys are professionals. But, you know, hanging drywall up and doing basic electric work. So like building an outlet from scratch. It's intimidating for people who don't know what the hell they're doing. But John really helped me kind of give me the basic rundown. And then my two best friends, Brian and JR, that I grew up with, we, we lived in the same neighborhood. They both um, went on to do careers in construction and bridge engineering. Mm. So they're, they're builders, right? They both kind of came over and helped me with other things. Um, and Brian specifically helped me kind of properly grade a patio that I made. So the runoff water could displace um, properly at the right pitch. So those guys, just those three gave me that foundational knowledge. The rest of it, YouTube, man. Like I tell people, <laughs> Adam, how the fuck did you just do that? Like how'd you build a basement brand new finished room with like a bar and frame it out and everything? I'm like, it just, it comes with like watching some YouTube videos, seeing how some of these guys do it. Some of the, you know, power tools they use. And girls, there's many talented DIY um, ladies out there. And I got inspired by all these people and just did it and like taught myself, made some mistakes, but upgraded my tools. Like I'm a big Home Depot, like Ryobi guy that just works for me. It's not for everybody, but I, I got like the full line of Ryobi power tools and just kind of taught myself. So like, there's something to be said for the amount of resources out there. I know YouTube's a great resource, uh, but just trying, just trying, making mistakes, learning from them, but progressing and then enhancing your skill set. Very kind of synonymous with career development. You, you, you can't rely on everybody else, right? I'll give somebody that foundational knowledge. I'll remodel their whole resume. I use those DIY terms for my career clients. I'll remodel their resume. I'll make it look great. But going forward, they have to be empowered to make those changes themselves. So that's my mission, right? I, I told you, uh, you know, we were chatting earlier, like I'm out here doing something purposely trying to make people realize they can't rely on everybody else to progress their career. They have to feel like emboldened to make those changes themselves. Um, so call me that whatever, that microphone to do it or that resource to get them started, just like my friends helped me get started. And then the rest is up to them. Does that make sense? Like I- hundred percent. That's, uh, it, I, I definitely want to dive into that a little deeper though. Like how, um, first of all, how did you get into career services? Great question. Very simple answer. Uh, my undergraduate at SUNY Oswego was in public relations and there was a PR internship at the Career Center back in my junior year. Um, long story short, I did it for two semesters, loved it, loved uh, my internship boss, was the at time the assistant director of the Career Center and he became a mentor. Um, I ended up graduating from college a semester early. I never, ever recommend that to any of my <laughs> students that I now teach. And we'll get into that. And um, 
anybody in general. College is one of the best times of your life. Um, why, if you have the chance to stay an extra semester and, you know, forge those friendships and say goodbye to everybody, why do it early? I, I just had the credits from like high school and some summer classes. So I, I graduated a semester early, left two weeks after graduation and moved to Orlando, Florida. It was like, it was like a safety net for me because I'd always vacation there with family. I, I knew the area, but I was hit with the hard dose of reality back in 2005, fresh off of a bachelor's degree in PR. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, oh, work for Disney. Disney at the time, now this was 16 years ago, Disney at the time said with a bachelor's degree that I would have to start just like the regular park employees at 7.15 an hour. That wasn't enough to live. I mean, literally couldn't afford to pay rent and groceries off of a 40 hour a week job. So I ended up becoming a bartender. I used my people skills to, you know, hustle behind the bar at a, at a resort. Made, made great money. Just another dumb Adam thing is I, I blew a lot of that money. I didn't know how to save uh, just with the nightlife down there. I had a buddy that I grew up with, lived with me. We got an apartment near all the parks, go out at night to like Margaritaville. And stupid. I just blew a lot of that money. So I got tired of it after a while, after about a year down there. I moved to, this was the great exodus from Florida back up north. I moved to Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside DC. Uh, a friend helped me get a job at a nonprofit. It was fun. It was cool. I, I, again, I was like 23 years old. I, lo I loved the area I was in, but I was just like, something's missing. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess just to get a taste of like an office job. Uh, you know, I took like a marketing assistant job and I, I realized it wasn't at the time necessarily money. It was, I didn't belong there. I didn't feel fulfilled doing anything I was doing. So I reached back out to the assistant director at the career center. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm struggling kind of in my career path to find my way. Could you, could, could you advise, you know, have a quick phone call? And he said, sure, Adam, I would, I would love to catch up. Always enjoyed our time together. You, you did great work for us. I kept that relationship going. And over the next six months, um, he kind of advised me through a few phone calls, said there's a new graduate program in uh, counseling. It's kind of heavy on the mental health side, but it has a track in more vocational counseling and like, they're geared towards careers in higher education, career counseling. And I was like, oh, I loved working the career center. I loved working with students. This is great. Long story short, he wrote me a reference letter, helped me get in to the first class. Uh, it was small. There was only about a dozen of us in the entire cohort. And I did, alongside all the mental health folks that are like now school counselors or mental health therapist, um, two years of intensive graduate study. And while I did that, he hired me back to be a graduate assistant in charge of both a caseload of career counseling, uh, students one-on-one -on -one, mm. and employer relations. And, and if anybody's been around higher education, 
there's full-time jobs devoted to um, working with the corporations that come on campus to recruit college talent. And that was like a natural skill set that I had, you know, being a good communicator. So I was in charge of managing both the one-on-one counseling clients, you know, to prepare them for their first job search, resume writing, cover letter writing, interview prep, and then obviously that corporate piece. And I loved it. And I'm not going to lie. I'm so grateful to this day that I was given that foundational skill set. But as we'll discuss, that was a long time ago. A lot has changed in both the workplace. COVID came in and injected at hyper speed so many more changes. Um, And with that, I've seen as a career counselor now for the last 15 years, um, I've seen a hell of a lot of people crying out for that change. So that's where I come in as I, I did a lot in between that. So shit happened again in 2008 with a recession right after I graduated from graduate school. Um, Fast forward, I did a bunch of different things in between, but I've always done the resume writing on the side for 15 and a half years. I've always helped advise friends and family on job searches. That skill set just started to really come into focus um, in my last corporate job where I was like, I have the ability to connect with people and call it empathy what you want because i've made so many mistakes myself and i've been so confused and frustrated but that connection has helped me um start even if it's slowly to change the game of career development and hiring and if i can get a bug in the ear of just one recruiter or hr manager to change the way they treat my clients, um, then that's a success for me. And I talk about that often. Um, And I'm hell-bent on that mission to not only modernize the way I present my clients on paper, their resume should not be some boring, bullshit, four-page, black-and-white document. It's nauseating to look at. Um, But also, I'm working kind of twofold on trying to get the receivers of those documents, the recruiters and HR managers to wake the hell up. They are passing by millions of talented, qualified people for the sake of automated technology. And we can get into what that is and how that bothers me. But, you know, that that's my career story to this point. Um, there's, there's lots of in between there with some jobs I did, but I, I'm an open book of past failures, lessons I've learned the hard way, and that's all on me. That That's not, I used to finger point, and it was so, so dumb of me to point fingers at like parents or, or friends and family that I compared careers to, like they're, they're doing something different. I want that kind of money, or I want that kind of job title. I used to do that in my 20s. It got me nowhere. Got me nowhere. So I learned the hard way literally for almost a whole decade. It's a, it's a great uh, metaphor for not just careers, but every, everything in life. You know, anytime you're just pointing fingers and, and 
you know, it, it just it doesn't solve anything, whether it be in careers or, or anything in life. So yeah, it's a it's a, it's a potent lesson. Yep, and but, an expensive one because I probably gave up. Oh God knows if I'd stayed on the trajectory in some of those jobs, like higher ed, I'd be in administration by now probably. But that's just not the way life worked out. True. Yeah. Sorry, you uh, you lagged there for a second. I don't know how that came out, but it all came through. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you've been doing resumes for a long time. I think that's a, a good place to start and dive into maybe some of the more, the more specifics. Like um, one of the things I love about, you know, the way you present yourself online and, you know, how you, you brand yourself, right, is uh, you say, like, I think it's the your LinkedIn, like byline or whatever says, clean and simple resumes that don't suck. And I think that like that, that resonates big time. Cause I think everyone knows like what you're referring to, but doesn't necessarily know what to do about it or exactly how to put a finger on it. But can you, can you expound upon that idea? Yeah, it is what it, what it actually looks like. Um, if anybody has ever been on the hiring manager side or recruiting side, or, you know, been in a job search, which I bet you 98% of the listeners of this podcast have, that means resumes are just way too much. They're way too wordy. They're over, they're over complicated. Um, they drag on to, I'll be honest, most people that, you know, when they get into their thirties or forties, they, they have by default, like two, three page resumes and they just become a cluttered mess. And, and when the, the litmus test, the famous, you know, six to 10 seconds, when your eyes first land on a mm -hmm. resume, that first page, if they don't see what they need to see in that couple seconds, next they're moving on. And it's just, it's, it's killing so many people's chances of even getting noticed at that first impression. So what I do, and, and I took a good week of my time when I first started this company back in 2016, and I designed um, custom resume templates that are, you know, again, you can change like the color, you can add a headshot if you want to kind of look like LinkedIn on the top left. If, if that's your thing, um, you know, that's kind of 50-50. Some clients don't want their headshot on a resume, but Europe's been doing it for years. Um, the, the skills sections, like all of them are built. So, so on the side, you can have your top skills, which are also vital keywords, very cleanly presented. There's no sentences just like digital marketing or search engine optimization. They need to see that, like almost like hit them in the face. Because we can't spend all that time reading through the entire resume that's a mess just to try to make sense of what it is you're good at. So the value I provide is I, I literally rebuild their resume from scratch. I, I say, you know, here's seven of my most popular templates. They're all kind of a little bit different depending on what your preference is. You got to own this at the end. I'm going to be the expert that takes your old resume, puts it up on one side of my screen, takes the new one, the blank template, and literally custom builds you a brand new resume. 
So, you know, we'll go through a couple rounds of revisions. I'll ask them some questions like this needs a little more. What did you actually do as a result of this? Was there an increase in, um, you know, increase in revenue or if it's on the, like the operation side, did you have cost savings? You can't just leave it as job description bullet points. Nobody stands out that way. And that's really the education process where at the end, I'm like, now do you see where this is going? What it should look like? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. And it should always focus on the last five to 10 years max. So I tell people, if you're 20 years in the biz, no one gives a shit what you did in 1998. They don't. I mean, it's just nowadays... Technologies evolve so quickly, things have changed. We don't even put bullet points from jobs that are that long ago. So we really just focus on the content of the most relevant recent jobs they've held. And that just by itself, 95% of the time takes that resume that's three pages and gives that person a one page clean modern resume and then you know the world is their oyster because i've been doing this long enough now this is my focus for the last four years i'm helping people from all over the world six continents in dozens of industries doesn't matter if it's digital marketing uh, law enforcement uh, government agencies all the way down to nonprofit leadership, you name it. People have come to me, said, I want that fresh spin. I need something different. This is stale and outdated. I trust you. And, and they're getting new jobs. And, and in some cases, they've gotten back to me and said, this damn resume itself started a conversation in the interview room. People were like, wow, you don't see this very often. This is great. Goal accomplished. Adam's happy because that's all I wanted. On behalf of that client, I just wanted them to get out of that rut of being unnoticed and, you know, passed by by all of these job applications and start a conversation because I trust with the people that I help. You know, my market's not really the entry level. It's more the experience mid to executive level. Those people have gotten to that point in their career able to, in person, talk confidently about themselves. So with the focus on rebuilding their resume, starting a conversation is the goal. And if we achieve that together, that's a huge success because now they have the confidence going forward to own that new resume. They're like, shit, this is something that, you know, five years from now, I can update it with my last job and go on to the next. So it becomes a it really is. I, I tell people, I'm like, I'm changing the game and I'm doing it in a very empathetic way because I used to be in that position of being like, what, what are they not seeing? I'm qualified for this job. I match up with everything on the job description. It was too long. It was too wordy. So it's really about simplifying it, putting it in a modern layout, showing your personal results as easy as it gets no I, I love that i mean from a marketing perspective it makes perfect sense right like you said the, the goal is just to start a conversation it's like 
you know, the subject line of an email isn't meant to, to sell them the whole thing. It's just meant to get them to open the email. And the first line of your email is only to get them to read the next line. Like, if you think about it like that, it, it, um, it, it's easier for it to, to come together because like, from, you know, just it's the way human behavior works. Like it, you got to get somebody down that path. And um, yep. I, I love that. It's it, so what would you say to somebody if, you know, they said, Adam, look, I understand what you want to do with my resume and, and modernize it and all that, that cute stuff. And, and that's fine. But look, I've been in HR for 35 years and I know what resumes are supposed to look like. And this isn't it. What do you say to that person? I'll say to those people, then you're part of a dying breed of leadership that has become so focused on doing it the same way and not evolving your train of thought. You're going to be left behind. Go sip on your margarita down in Florida in retirement because the rest of the world is evolving. This might be a good segue with COVID to utilize that kind of clean, modern approach to create new human efficiencies. And, and I'm, I'm doing this intentionally with the goal of that, that one-page resume standing out starting a conversation because it doesn't lack detail. These are extremely personally detailed. So it'll say things like, you know, this is kind of the convention of a bullet point, like leadership action X yielding result Y. It's not going to just say like, you know, Johnny led a team of 12. It's going to say like directed a team of 12 cross-functional IT marketing and engineers to produce $50 million in new revenue. Boom, end it, leave it. That's like that's like a great example of like some action, some result. You gotta give them the result though. So these put together, compounded in one one page clean document are gaining the attention of the human beings on the other side, not the robots. They hate the robots. I think the robots need to take a time out and be recalibrated. In HR today, 2021, and I hope this message lives on on the web, these HR folks need to see more of this so they can efficiently assess that talent is qualified. Let's pull that one in for an interview. Let's not rely on a robot to sift through things. The robots make a lot of mistakes. The candidates, because I can't rewrite every resume in the world, the candidates are not um, aware that they didn't even hear from, from a job application because they were submitting the three, four-page resumes. So, you know, all those things boil into that 35-year HR manager, VP, just having to have a gut check themselves that we have to evolve as an industry. We have to do things differently going forward so we can give those most qualified a fighting chance, you know, to, to have a conversation and whether or not they want to work at our organization. But so many millions have been left behind by those really outdated hierarchy driven policies somebody's made those 20, 25 years ago, they were all like, well, let's start using automated technology to sift through those first batches of resumes. 
human beings have intuition. So if they take one of my clients' new resumes and they clearly see those results, they can be like, I didn't need much time to tell this person's qualified. Let's bring Jane Smith in. You know, like that's, that is the goal. Um, universal acceptance of that is not going to happen overnight because you've got some mega companies that get bombarded with, you know, hundreds of applications a day. Uh, but I'm confident that if enough people start talking about, you know, what has happened in the last 15 months with COVID, this, this migration uh, away from physical office in certain industries, the candidates, this is just awesome for me to see. I'm like licking my chops up the candidates are taking back from that imbalance of power. They're saying, you know what? I've been in digital marketing for 10 years. I'm skilled. I know what I am good at. If my resume says it clearly, I can market myself anywhere now. Now, again, that's not for every industry, but we can get into, if you want, talking about how that evolution on the candidate side is giving them more clarity in what they can do and where they can do it. Like, so, you know, that presents a whole different level of opportunity for someone like me that can prime these people to start pitching and marketing themselves to work anywhere in the world from where they want to. I would love to get into that, Adam. Tell me about that. How, how have things shifted over the last 15 months and what are the effects of that? Yeah, I so I, I'm on LinkedIn like every day, just like a lot of business leaders would be. And, you know, I'm kind of digesting the, the trends, both on the corporate side and hiring and um, the, the big companies seem to get all the headlines, but it's, but it's even here at the local level, like the startups, um, some of the smaller tech driven companies. And I am going to keep saying that because I've got to put an asterisk with anything I say about these trends I'm seeing. It's not for every industry. Like, like my fiance works at a law office. They physically need to be there to handle, um, in-person sensitive information, original documentation, all that stuff. So, so like legal fields, obviously hospitality, healthcare, you can integrate technology to a certain extent. We saw the thrust of the, the Zoom meetings and everything or Microsoft Teams. We saw um, that be thrust into the spotlight. And that was great, right? So, so we could try it out and healthcare certainly seems to be utilizing telemedicine. So that's awesome. But like when it comes to a lot of my clients in tech driven companies, so your marketing folks, your, your advertising agencies, your, uh, you know, software engineers, anybody that utilizes a laptop or a desktop for the majority of their physical work, this is applicable to they are now seeing industries in less than really an 18 month span, entire industries accepting kind of at the leadership of the, the, the big ones. Airbnb was another today that just, I guess, accepted remote work permanency 
to a certain extent, but like Google, Facebook, Silicon Valley tech companies, they're saying employee choice. If you want to return, we'll have a space. Um, that's going to be kind of interesting in the coming months because I think as the vaccination rates go even higher and more people do return to an office setting, those offices are going to shrink and they're going to evolve where you don't need five floors anymore. You might need one floor with a conference room and, you know, kind of a I don't know if you know about the WeWork issue. They're having a lot of trouble, but kind of like the mini WeWork scale, almost like like you you rent this space or you lease this space as a company, and your employees can come in and you know reserve blocks of time when they do need that interaction with clients, um, you know, in the conference room or a private office with a with a conference line. That that is the early indications that I've seen. That is going to be the model, right? Because we saw so many be able to still work at a productive level at home or at their home office, so they can set up this kind of thing—a home office. They can work three days a week from home and maybe come in the other two days. So, really, to get right to the point, I think the hybrid work model is going to win out. And I'm not alone in that thought. There's been a lot of uh, influential business leaders on LinkedIn that have also echoed that sentiment, that hybrid work models going forward. Now, that's not to say that we can't employ people full-time remote, right? They just really, maybe maybe they come in once a quarter, uh, but you're, you're going to expand your geographic footprint if you're a company here in Syracuse that has the need for, you know, software engineers or tech-driven positions, you can grab that talent from California, Alaska, Europe. Um, it The possibilities now are endless. So we're really opening the floodgates for a kind of a massive talent migration. And somebody said the other day, as a result of people that are highly skilled seeing that they can market themselves anywhere, we're going to see what this one LinkedIn article called the great resignation. 46%, almost half of all those that were polled, and I think it was thousands of people, said that they would be looking for a job in the next year to change really? that. So that's, again, that is empowering people to say, oh, you know, I've got everything tightened up. Um, got my new resume, my LinkedIn's optimized. I'm going to start testing the waters. And you know who's the most successful job seeker? Passive job seekers. The ones that don't have all the stress and anxiety that someone unemployed or just laid off does. They have that urgency. But somebody that behind the scenes goes, goes to their current job and then you know, goes out on a lunch break to the park and, and checks job leads or spends an hour or two at night seeing what's out there, testing the waters with their network, right? And passive job seekers that have a lot less stress, right, because there's no urgency, are the ones that usually find there's great opportunity out there. It might be higher pay, more flexibility, better benefit packages. So it's really just opened up a shitstorm of people that are 
quietly, maybe, maybe not telling their boss, uh, hopefully not, but quietly behind the scenes, millions, tens of millions of people are looking for new work. And that presents a lot of excitement, right? But also turnover rates are going to start to really increase and executives are going to be like, what do we do? How do we keep people? And then employers have to up the ante and that's interesting. Yeah. So I want to ask you about a couple things there. Um, firstly, um, how do you think this is going to impact the some, somebody's ability to get a job? Like, for example, somebody who's applying to a job at a marketing agency that's in Syracuse, let's say, um, before they were competing with the Syracuse area. Now they're competing with the U.S. or, or, or greater. Um, how is that going to affect, like, is it going to make, uh, you know, like the talent is just going to rise to the top and you're going to have to really like know your shit and, and have a good track record to get a job or like, and if you don't, where do, what happens to those people? Like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I really do think that that talent does rise to the top. Um, you know, not to be pitchy, but if they, if they have a shitty resume, but great skills, they're not going to stand out, right. They're going to overwhelm the employer. They, they might be, a hidden gem to go from the marketing coordinator to the marketing director level uh, because they've been doing it well. But if they overwhelm the employer at the speed that we need to hire, these corporations need new talent, they're just not going to stand out. So they're going to be left behind. So, so you present yourself, um, you know, in a results focused manner and, you know, everything's tightened up and modernized. I, I truly believe that the good companies, the ones that I'm talking about, that I'm pointing fingers at, that are willing to evolve, that are willing to sit in the executive boardroom and say, it's just time that we get rid of some of this outdated technology like the ATS. And we can talk about that, but that's crippling that talented, qualified person from getting through the gates. But if we get a top crop of people, we need to make a decision quickly. And I am getting a lot more traction when I go on these rants on like LinkedIn or Instagram. People at both the job seeker level and the gatekeeper level, actual recruiters, actual talent managers and HR directors are DMing me in private. They're like, Adam, what you're saying is so true. Like we need to hire quicker, more efficiently and stop this monotonous technology driven, you know, like the loopholes in the middle, cut through it. Um, hiring somebody's always a risk. It always is a risk. I, I know that because I job hopped in my twenties. You could get hired on a Friday and within a month or two, not like your manager, right? Cause they, kind of fudge their way through the job search process and nice emails. And then the manager ignores you. You could be like, I'm out of here. Bye. It's, it's a risk. Companies are taking a risk no matter if they spend 30 days trying to hire you or one week. And in some cases, uh, industries uh, like higher education is probably one of the worst. Higher education and government, you're, you're talking about in, in some cases four to six months months 
before they offer employment. Four to six months. So that so that just has to stop altogether. These industries need to wake up. I wish I could just go on like national television and and, and say, do, do these like corporate bigwigs, these executives that sit up in their ivory tower, do they realize how long it's taking with all the advancements we have, all the technology? The hiring processes actually slowed down in the last 10 years. So we need to speed it up, make it more efficient. And I, and I still believe my heart of hearts that we can make that process not only efficient, but of high quality. Like somebody can see that candidate and just say, that's top talent right there. Bring them in tomorrow if they're available for an interview. And another thing, like it kind of leads into what you were saying, I hope, with the, ge- the geographic um, preference now for these employers to search not just in Syracuse, but really anywhere. If you're getting a high volume of applicants, let's say for that one role, 100 people or 75, and you know how to properly read a good resume quickly, and you can ascertain from that like eight people, 10 people, you can knock out the screening interview within like 48 hours if they're available because you have Zoom or Microsoft Teams. You can do it now because of the tech at a more efficient level. So it's time for the corporations to stop with the excuses. Uh, we're bombarded by hundreds of applicants. That's what you have recruiters and talent acquisition professionals for, to do that work. Right? I've worked in HR management. I've seen good recruiters to assess that talent quickly and then move to get those hiring managers on the calendar to screen those eight to 10 people. So you can arrive at a hiring decision, not in 30, 60, 90 days or longer, but in like a week or two, because that person at that level in their career, if they don't hear back from you, that top talent is moving on. They're not looking for the Syracuse remote job now. They're they're, they're heading to a job in Seattle or California, something like that. So time is really of the essence on, on the corporate side because what I, what I do think as a result of this, like you were saying, this giant you know, candidate pool from all over the world, essentially, is they now have the choice of where they want to work and the employers need to really figure their shit out quickly. <laughs> so... If you could uh, pull the strings on every major corporation out there, every corporation, every everybody who's hiring, what would you have them do differently than they're doing now? Like I know you you talked about, uh, I believe it was ATS, um, yep. screening out people, that kind of thing. Um, do you want to expand upon that? Yeah. So what I would have them do very bluntly is get rid of the damn ATS. It has been around for about 20 some years or more um, in, in various versions. There's a lot of them. There's, there's big ones that, uh, you know, mega multinational companies use that are very efficient, right? And Does it stand for exactly? Applicant tracking software. Okay. So it or system, you know, but the applicant tracking system basically has completely gutted the human interaction as a gatekeeper. So so a candidate goes on to, let's say, a major healthcare system here in central New York, um, you know, that owns like 
to hospitals and medical centers. And they get, they get, they have 60 job openings listed on their, their HR subpage. That is the beginning of the ATS, basically. You have to fill out that career portfolio profile, you know, with your login, and then you, you pop, populate your career history, your list of references, you answer the employment screening questions. All of that gets baked into, in layman's terms, a, a computerized version of your profile, right? Your resume, your cover letter, now in recent years, your LinkedIn URL. And this piece of software is basically a robot that scans all of those things for predetermined criteria that the HR representatives put into the system. They're telling it what to look for. That's why I tell my job seeking candidates, it's an awful, awful system because A, it's gonna look really bad if you just try to match every single thing they need. It's gonna look unnatural, right? That's not you, that's you talking to a robot, trying to get every keyword, right? So you're embellishing your actual background. Whereas if you didn't have that and you had a well-written resume that, again, your personal results, your leadership actions, in simple terms, jumps out to the person, they don't have to spend much time pre-qualifying you. They're like, oh, they're qualified. Let's, let's screen them. Let's bring them in for either a Zoom or an in-person now that we're back in office settings. It's as simple as that. But people waste time. I say it. They waste time incorporating this ATS, getting all these candidates to spend, you know, an extra hour of their time, which is bullshit, putting, you've probably seen the memes, like company asked for my resume when I just spent 45 minutes filling out the information on my resume in the website's career portal. So it's redundant, it wastes the candidate's time, and it really wastes the time on the corporate end too, because they're going to go, okay, we just put a marketing coordinator job up and we got 75 applications and now I've got to go through them all in the ATS, see their results, look through the scans, who met the threshold. Usually it's like they won't even interview somebody unless they've hit somewhere in the 90% threshold. So people that don't know how to reformat resumes, automatic spits it out as a reject. You know, they got a five page resume. They can put in this ATS like word count limits. Um, if you don't match a certain amount of keywords, you're out. There's so many different factors, right? And unknowns on the candidate side. But for the corporations to still in 2021, be relying on that as the basis for whether or not to bring in talent to interview, it's completely unnecessary. So I would tell those executives, stop mandating that the ATS is what we use to pre-qualify our candidates. Let's hear from them, right? If they have a shitty resume, they have a shitty resume. But if they have a decent resume, it's easy to understand. Let's see and hear that person. And that's why we hire these talented recruiters and talent acquisition professionals. It's their job to help pre-qualify. Like I, what I don't understand is we're, we're still, 
um, sending recruiters out there in the world to do all this automation and they themselves will come to me to rewrite their own resume. I'm like, don't you know how to write and read your own resume? It's mind boggling that somebody in that position would even need my professional help. Like, yeah, who should know how to rewrite a resume, right? Recruiting involves reading through resumes every day or used to. So that automation is hindering, I think, the quality of hires more than anything. People are getting through somehow in interviews and, you know, nine times out of 10, when you go through that ATS, that person probably is. And I don't love working with those people because they're usually like obsessed with the ATS. There's like free softwares out there where you can run your resume through and I'll spit out a score. Those people I've probably had maybe a half dozen in the last couple of years will come to me with like a criteria obsessed over the ATS saying, I need it to hit on this, this, and this. And I'll go, but is that really you? Is that how you talk? Are those your results? Or are those the results for the robot? Yeah. Well, the number one way to still, and I think always get your foot in the door to get that recruiter's attention is to know somebody. Yep. At my last three corporate jobs, I knew somebody, friends from college that worked at the organization. So if you take that one clean page resume and you present it with excitement to learn more about the position, you're going to have much more success with that recruiting relationship. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, it's interesting to think about how it seems like the whole resume situation with ATS and everything is hurting both the, you know, the, the job applicants and the employers, because like the employers, I mean, it it would like from a, a logic perspective, I guess, like it would seem that the people, you know, using the ATS think that's what's going to get them the best candidates. Um, and maybe they think that because they get all these really shitty resumes, uh, and, and they don't have time to sift through them and, and they're not clear. So, you know, you get somebody who's very talented submitting a shitty resume and, you know, they yeah. don't, don't catch somebody's attention. And it's just, it, it seems like a, almost like a chicken and egg problem. Like the employers need people to submit better resumes and the job applicants need <laughs> the employers not to use the ATS. Yeah, it, it is a chicken and egg problem. And, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it changing overnight. I'm trying my best. I'll keep, I'll keep pushing the message. I I say if even one recruiter or one HR director that listens to me is able to influence the top decision makers to evolve, that's a success. But like, it's, it's going to take some time and patience because that's just the way they've always been doing it now for the last really two decades. Um, but you're right. Like it's, it's a hindrance. It's, it's not efficient. Um, it's impersonalized. Like there's just, just so many negatives to it and very few positives. They used to claim it was just able to take high volume applicant pools and narrow them down, but it's, it's doing it. It's doing it in a, in a really low quality way because of the unknown on the candidate side, right? People that don't even know what an ATS is or how to 
beat it. Yeah. And, you know, they don't hire resume writers. They just, they got laid off from a job they've had for 10 years and they kind of threw a crappy old resume at it with a few new bullet points. It, it, it's a conundrum because like what I said, I don't want to sound hypocritical, like networking is the way in. Mm-hmm. You, you got to have like multiple tools in your toolbox, right? If, if one doesn't work, like if you see a job opening from Syracuse where you live to work remote out in Seattle, right? You might not know anybody at that company, but what's the other tool you got? You got your modern resume. You got something that actually can stand out on paper to gain their attention. It's always an odds game. Uh, Job searching is, but you can increase your odds by doing certain things. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, It's funny too how like, just on the whole ATS thing, it makes me think of uh, like in, in, in the marketing world in terms of like automations, right? Like obviously, you know, we have this technology, we want to leverage it, of course, but if you're not using it properly, going back to the idea of like it being a tool, then, you know, it's, it's going to steer you astray. Like um, so in, in marketing, right? Like if you are sending out like automated text messages to, to leads that come in for your company, right? but they, they look like they don't feel like a human wrote them, then like no, nobody wants to talk to a robot. Nobody wants to talk to an automation. Like the purpose of the, the purpose of the automation is to simulate human behavior to like get through and, and break through. And that's how you like leverage it properly. I don't know what that looks like for the, the ATS or, or if it even has a place, but it's like, you know, it, it seems like m- maybe the, the idea for the tool is there, but it, it's just completely not being used properly. Yes. Uh, you know, automation is such, it's such a hotbed term for any tech driven company on LinkedIn, right? The, all the, all the apps out there, the, the, the social media um, platforms that we, we live on are driven by apps and automation and spitting out data, data analysis for, you know, the decision makers to evolve their tool um, but when it comes to human talent, that's a fine line. There's a lot of kind of gray area there because you're basically stripping out, um, you know, and, and there are video resume companies, but a lot of the hesitancy to adopt uh, video resumes as a standard to screen candidates is because you can physically see them. And even though you will swear there was no preconceived prejudice, gender, sexuality, uh, uh, mannerisms, all of those things, human beings will be able to see you. And without saying it out loud, they'll be able to make determinations based on those things. So video, video resumes um, are going to be slower to adopt because of all the implications on the HR side of things. Um, there's there's a lot that's like, you know, walking a very fine line there. But like back to the physical resume, if I'm focused on trying to beat that screening technology, that ATS, and I put all my energy into trying to appease the robot, what happens when my ass sits in the interview seat 
and they reflect back to my resume and they ask questions about my robot friendly, I'm going to sit there looking like a bullshit artist. I'm not going to sound authentic. I'm not going to be able to articulate that particular job project and result with an authentic voice. I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. So I really wholeheartedly believe that the resume, the LinkedIn profile, those things need to be from a place of personal thought. Like if if I had my way, and I think I'm going to start exploring this um, with some, some of my HR friends, some, some managers and directors, I really think we need to start translating the authenticity that's all over um, Instagram and LinkedIn in videos or in written content of vulnerability and failure to resumes. Why does the resume have to only be about your sterling top results? Sure, if you're going for a marketing director job, you better be able to clearly articulate your value as a marketing leader and campaign results and whatnot. But one or two bullet points exposing yourself as a human to vulnerabilities and failures, how some projects landed just flat on their face and how you overcame it. Right. Because I'll always my interview coaching clients, I'll tell them, you know how you'll have success in the interview once you're in person. You talk authentically about how you got through challenges, what you did, your personal process. Why can't we do that on a resume? I'm going to start getting into the, um, you know, on, on calendars with a couple of my HR leadership friends. And I'm going to say, what would you do if you saw someone's resume where a couple bullet points actually admitted like their failures? Like, here it is. Like, I put it out there for the world to see this project was a failure, but here is how I overcame it. And that was the eventual positive result. Yeah. We reframe the conversation to no longer try to appease the robot but try to actually connect with the human on the other side of the resume, I think we're on to something. I think we're changing the game of hiring where people that are authentic and just honest about their holistic career successes and failures are going to end up getting more interviews. And you're going to see you're hiring a high quality candidate that can actually not sit there and, speak like a bullshit artist you know what i mean yeah bullshit can get you through the ats but it can't get you through the interview (laughs) exactly yeah people in the interview are going to spot that and and like what what basis is that to begin a relationship on in the first place right like i mean because at the end of the day like it even though you might be dealing with an ats in between you know the getting that job at the end of the day, like your job is not with the ATS, it's with the other humans that work at that company. And so like, you know, you, you've got to be able to, to your point with with putting a, you know, like a failure on there and a lesson you learned from it, um, being able to relate to a human, it just seems like it would, it would be that much more valuable. And I can see as where I, I can see how like that, that's where the whole industry will go. And, you know, I don't know, anything about like job hunting or um, this industry at all um, like you do. But I mean, just again, from a marketing perspective, it's like, 
you know, if you, because this is one thing I have always like pondered is, you know, you, you see the, like what resumes are supposed to look like. And it's this, you know, Times New Roman black and white font kind of thing. And um, like, there, there's no differentiation there. So you don't stand out, but also yeah. like talk about connecting as a human. Like if you have your headshot on there, like you, you're cre- you can, you can have pseudo eye contact with the people who are looking at your resume. And from yeah. like a, a, a psychology perspective, like you're going to connect with that person on a deeper level, How, however shallow it may be, it will be deeper and it will have an impact um, over the course of thousands of applications. Right. Like it just, it just seems like it, the, the human perspective just, just makes more sense. Like yeah. we're not robots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, you can, you can use that. I, someone asked me recently, um, they were a little bit of an older candidate. They, they have a LinkedIn profile, you know, showing some salt and pepper hair. And this individual was like, well, you know, I'm in my fifties. I don't want to be giving HR on my resume more ammunition than they need to determine my age. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't have, you don't have an avatar on your LinkedIn profile, right? You have your LinkedIn profile has a headshot. Why can't a resume? Because 98% 98% of all recruiters will admit they're going to go and stalk your LinkedIn profile. So they're going to see you anyways. And they're like, they chuckled. They're like, Oh, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way. And you know, it's kind of a, a subtle convincing that the resume headshot might actually help you stand out shows a distinguished individual. That's obviously worthy of a vice president title. It, it, you know, it should with most people seem the resume with the headshot, it should not be any sort of red flag. Um, you, I, I always advise them, make sure it's professional. It's, you know, from your shoulders up and it helps them nine times out of 10. So, but that's personal preference, but yeah, any, anything that's not uh, focused on the robot wins the day, I think. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's the, the higher level um, theme here, it seems. And, you know, how that plays out will, will be very interesting, but um, and, yep. and changes over time. But obviously it, it has in the last, you know, since COVID hit and it's going to continue to, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Where, where do you see it going from here? I mean, you, you mentioned like video uh, resumes, like, do, do you see that as having a future or what would it take for that to come I about? Do. I, I think, I think there's a place for it. And I think there's some smaller startups that are starting to explore it. It's just the universal adoption of something like that. And, and I would certainly pivot. I, I do video resume coaching. I offer that service. I offer mock interview coaching. Um, I just did in the last month, like five or six clients that just wanted one-on-one interview prep. So I act like I'm asking the questions and then I let them answer and I give them feedback that that service would really just kind of seamlessly adapt to, to this, just like I do with my college students. Like um, they have to give me their elevator pitch and I coach them through changing it, sharpening it up. It would be the same thing. It would be like video resume introduction. Um, You'd get a certain amount of time, you know, might be 30 seconds, might be two minutes and you really, in order to impress them, like you would on paper, you really got to be concise, not overcomplicated. 
and you have to offer the level of personalized proof uh, of your value. That's it. And, and, you know, again, it could be as most two minutes before they're not, they're not going to click on anything more than that. So there, whether there's a time limit embedded in the software or um, just in general, let's say LinkedIn offers this feature, the, the audience is just going to be like, I'm not reading past or watching past two minutes. Mm -hmm. So I see this 10 minute video. There's, I don't care who it is at what level they're not going to stand there. Just like the litmus test of six to 10 seconds to review your resume, that first page, if you're not capturing their attention quickly and keeping their attention, they're gone. They're onto the next candidate. So video resumes, um, I would never be out of work because I teach not just college students, but I've spoken at professional seminars. There's a lot of really uber smart, talented individuals at all ages, all the way up to executive that cannot speak concisely about their personal value. I used to be in that crowd back in my twenties during the career path of didn't know where I was going. I had like, four different kind of areas of interest or focus, what I, what I thought was focus. And I used to spiral off when I went to conferences on all these tangents. So what I do now is I teach my kids not to do that, do the opposite of what Adam did and don't make those mistakes and really hammer down um, your value in a, in a personalized manner. But, but don't sound robotic, right? You've got to inject a little bit of humor, your own style, and you really do have to be yourself in order to impress somebody these days. So like that would present a, it would be probably a pretty rigorous process because it doesn't happen just like that. Like, like a resume, a static resume, I can take someone's handwritten notes, um, and transcribe them and make them sound good and, you know, simplify them in no time. But having a conversation with someone, maybe seeing an old resume copy and then trying to transcribe it into something that's really uh, of great impact and high quality, that will take some time with certain candidates, especially your more entry level um, candidates that don't really know what they're good at or what value they provide yet. That might be more career exploration process. Okay. Whereas my, you know, mid-level or executive level, I can see clearly on their old resume what they're good at. Now it's just trying to sharpen that focus. So I get that two minutes of, you know, just Andrew. And what does Andrew specifically bring to the table for this organization? You know, I it's gonna it's gonna happen eventually. I I just like everybody's talked, uh, what, five, 10 years ago about AI. Now AI is all around us. The technology is within the business world every day. Um, and it's evolving, which is kind of scary um, at, at a level where, you know, you're driving driverless cars, you're sitting in the back seat. I think that's stupid. So I'm a naysayer right now because I think human beings can't even fucking drive in general. Uh, we haven't mastered that in order to elevate to the level where someone can be trusted to not be behind the wheel at an intersection in case the robot decides to take a nap. So like, I, 
you know, technology is, is great. It's the reason why we're all able to communicate. We got the phones, we can see anything on the internet, but it also has its, its limits. And given the time we're in, I, I think a little less automation, uh, a little more focus on the human being is going to end up serving both sides of the interview table a lot better. Um, and I'll, I'll fight anybody, I'll battle anybody out that wants to. The executives at Google probably would agree, but some of these older companies that are like run still by stubborn leadership that have old school thinkers yeah. sitting in the room, those are going to be the ones that like see messages like this and go, I hit a he doesn't know what he's talking about. This process is much more cost effective for us. Well, the bottom line's what you're worried about. You spend a hell of a lot more money taking the risk on somebody that doesn't work out in 60 days and having to rehire and retrain, right? Than getting rid of your ATS contract. Like, so, you know, there, there's ways that we can discuss it really to the, to the day is old, but I, I'm firm in my belief based on what I've gathered from the job seekers and from the good HR folks that evolution is necessary right now during COVID post COVID let's take these industries in a different direction for how they qualify and hire candidates. And and, and in both sides, we'll feel a yeah. lot better off. It'll better serve everybody. Yep. So I guess, is there a case in which you would want like an older looking resume? So like if you're, if you're, you know, applying to one of these companies that is caught up in this, you know, 20 year old uh, dogma on this is how the, a resume should look like. Like if you know that that's the person who's going to be looking at your resume, like, on some level, do you, do you, do you need to, to show them what they want to see? Um, like, is that an exception uh, or I don't know. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I've been talking about it. Every one of the modern layouts that I built is able to clearly, clearly showcase their, their top skills, their, you know, if they're executive, their executive highlights at the top, gets rid of the summary section, shows their work history in bullet points that are, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time are on one line. So it is designed for the eyes to efficiently, not just color, because I have modern layouts too that are still black and white. I have a modern executive layout that's black and white, but it's a visually pleasing layout, aesthetically designed for the eye to go through it quickly in the Z pattern. That that's one of my old school career services. Um, it, it's the psychology of resume that I was taught that when I was a junior in college and that hasn't changed. So in the Western world, we're from left to right and then down the page and then back over Z pattern. So that's the goal. All these modern layouts accomplish that and nobody in any industry. And I, I've told you, I've had clients in, all the education, teachers, government, nonprofits, marketing, software engineers. Um, most recently, someone had some some title like innovation officer. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's got to be technology. It was like a creative position. Mm. 
every single one of those people can fit into one of these modern layouts. The black and white old school one that we're all used to with like the Times New Roman. Um, yeah, I still do them once in a while. I still clean. If clients like, I just want my old one cleaned up. I don't want the modern. Okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll say to them, it's going to look cleaner in that layout. Um, the, the bullets will be edited to be more concise, but still running the risk just at that quick litmus test of like being in that dime a dozen group. So I kind of, I don't really need to sell it. I think I've gotten to the point where four and a half years in mostly focusing on those types of resumes that most of my clients have either uh, been referred to me or heard it through the grapevine or go on my site or my Instagram where I show pictures once in a while of the modern layout to know that that's where they want uh, to be. They are already in that like transactional mode. Like, uh, you know, you did this for my friend last year. She got a new teaching job. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it, it can be the old layout once in a while, like government, government needs to, so there's like subcontract, subcontractors I've worked for, for the U.S. government um, that have needed like resume assistance. Uh, they still have their old outdated format where you have to list like your supervisor's name, your last salary, the phone oh, number. Yeah, the, the federal resumes are just god awful. They're so long, and it's because of, of the way they're formatted. So those ones, there's no change overnight unless the Biden administration hired me to consult and redo them all. <laughs> Uncle Joe, I'm I'm listening to you, uh, but you know, I I really do feel like. Uh, like some of my government like subcontractors, they, they operate kind of as their own entity presenting one of those one page clean modern layouts has gotten a bunch of them new gigs, new work. So it's working in that regard, but the federal government and, and probably New York state too, um, haven't had a New York state employee in a while. They probably accept old fashioned resumes as their, you know, mainstay, it is what it is. I'm not going to waste time trying to just convince them to change right now. But yeah, you, you got to do what's what you feel comfortable or confident presenting. That's the that's the last conversation we have with these resumes. I give it to them. The final draft all polished up. I give them access to the original tips on how to edit it. You know, the convention of editing the resume going forward. And I say to them. And I hope now you're, you're you're confident going forward in your job search that this is a tool you can use and, and evolve with and grow with. And they're like, yeah, like I'm glad I went this route. It looks so much better. It reads better. Mission accomplished. You know, I, I wish them well. And and if they need to come back for a couple of tweaks, I'm here for them. But like that that's my majority of uh my resume business for a reason it's doing something different than than what everybody else has been doing and you know i've inherited clients that have been like i've hired resume writers in the past and i go what they didn't do anything it's still <laughs> half pages of 
paragraphs that no one's going to read. I'm like, you wasted your money. So, you know, it's, it's making a difference one person at a time. I'm not out there putting billboards out or having, you know, conversations at the national level. Not that I wouldn't welcome that, but I, I think that at this point, it's like this business has steadily picked up steam and grown because of that individual impact. They're just telling, they're my marketing agents. They're going out there and telling their friends and their coworkers. And I'm just like opening emails going, holy shit. <laughs> you know, some weeks are like, well then, um, this is this is doing something. So it's great. And I'm, and I'm glad it's come full circle because I was a mess back in my, my 20s. Well, nothing speaks like results and nothing uh, sells like social proof. So, <laughs> yep. exactly, exactly. So hopefully, you know, I know we both use social media these days who doesn't to run our own businesses and to interact, but hopefully a little more uh, human interaction and emotion behind hiring and a little less of the robot. I love it. I love it. It's probably a good place to wrap up uh, before we uh, close this down. Is there anything you want to say or just let people know where they can find you? Yeah. Um, as I said before, uh, I really appreciate the time here chatting today, Andrew. It's always nice to talk with someone that understands that, you know, we need to change. We need to evolve so we can actually grow um, for real. And I'm going to keep spouting out my message on my social handles. I'm very active on Instagram. You can find me at DIY career guy, one word. Um, same thing on LinkedIn. Um, that's actually my name, um, Adam Marinelli. So look me up on LinkedIn, connect. You never know. I, I could connect with someone today on LinkedIn and, and help them find a new job next week. Um, that's a very powerful platform. So I'm very active on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, Facebook page, DIY Career Guy, um, regular content is updated on there, more on like the, the social, fun hearted, you know, lighthearted side. But uh, yeah, th those are the three big areas. Um, overhauling my website right now. So if you go on there, there's a little like happy robot that's uh, under construction. I'm actually so busy that I haven't prioritized it, but I would like to add more DIY resources on there. Mm. Um, but I'm, you know, full throttle taking care of my clients uh, every day, week in and week out. So someone wants to list my services, they can just email me. Um, Adam at DIYCareerGuy.com. And in that email, you know, show me your old resume. I'll, I'll give you a free evaluation and I'll, and I'll send you my career services menu and pricing. And, you know, whether someone needs my help at the professional one-on-one -on -one level or just wants some engaging content that actually doesn't include all that bullshit, um, <laughs> Instagram and LinkedIn are the way to go. So appreciate it again andrew i think that you know we are like-minded in our approach to how we uh see this going forward and that's why you engaged me last year pre-covid um i appreciate you remembering throughout the last year that we we still needed to get this done so i was happy to help absolutely man we'll have to do it again i mean you touched on a couple of things there that i would love to dive more into uh like you know networking and using social media and linkedin to to you know 
job hunt as well. So we'll have to set up another one. But yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, yeah, like mindedness, I would say anybody who's, you know, just out there looking at, you know, what's really going on and not afraid to, you know, create some ripples in the water and to do things differently for the sake of innovation, I think it's um, powerful. So cheers to that, man. Cheers to that. I hope to see you again soon. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Take it easy. You too.